we're starting a brand new series called Bible Stories. These are real accounts. So we call them Bible Stories. That sounds like it's mythical or untrue, but these are really biblical accounts of history. These things, I believe, that really did take place. And we trust the Word of God that these really did happen. Thousands of years ago, Various things took place. And this morning we're looking at the, the account of Cain and Abel. And you may be familiar with the story. We will tell the story and then we'll spend some time with application. But I actually headed a different direction when I, as I studied this out than I originally planned. I had some ideas of where we were going. And you may be the same way. You go, well, I know the story already. I can take a nap. No, you may not. We can go down a certain direction. We realize the Word of God has things that can apply to our lives today that are so incredibly relevant. So you may be familiar with these different biblical accounts, but we can look into it and say, there's something here for us today. And this morning we are contrasting Cain and Abel, and we're looking at rebellion versus righteousness. And the results of sinful rebellion often will result in, for Cain, it resulted in murder of his brother Abel. Spoiler. And then also the punishment that came as a result. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, there's a passage in the, in the Bible that's referred to, commonly called, the Hall of Faith. Let me read Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 4. By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The peoples whose names end up in this hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, are people we look upon and we go, these people did incredible things. But in reality, as you look through them, they simply were ordinary people that did extraordinary things and were honored in the scripture by simply having and stepping out in faith. And that's not something that's beyond you and I. You see, every person here today, I want to pause for effect. Every person here today. And I want you to realize that that's talking about you. Can be obedient to God's plan by actively rejecting the seeds of rebellion that we all face. You have the ability to have great faith and be obedient to the things of God. But we must take personal responsibility. Someone else cannot do this on your behalf. Wouldn't it be nice, it's not true, to be able to be obedient for your children, parents? I'm going to do this on behalf of my loved one. But that's not what we find in Scripture at all. We have to take personal responsibility for ourselves. And what we find in the Scripture, and this will be the underlying principle of today. So every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week our principle is this. Faithful obedience to God will make an eternal impact. Let me turn that around. The opposite is also true. Unfaithful disobedience to God will make an eternal impact. 
one way or the other, you are in your lives going to make an eternal impact. And you may have a very low self-image. You may think to yourself, well, not me. I'm just little old me. But what you do in this life will last for all eternity. And you will impact the lives of others either for faithful obedience or unfaithful disobedience. And that's where we contrast Cain and Abel. Did you find in your Bibles Genesis chapter number four? We're going to read through this passage. I'm just going to retell the story as we read through it. And we'll make some application at the end that will really be the majority of this message. As we begin looking in the book of Genesis chapter number four, let me give you a little bit of background. It's kind of obvious. It's in the front of your Bible. There's three chapters previous. We see creation. We see the creation of man and woman. And then we see the fall of man and woman. And of course, from that, the punishment. And Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden. They had fellowship with God. They, the Bible says they walked with God in the cool of the evening. Could you imagine that? That sort of relationship with the creator of the universe. And because of their sin, they were separated from God and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And the Bible gives some various curses in Genesis chapter number 3. Childbirth and ladies will be suffering in childbirth and men will be working the, the sweat of their brow. And of course, if you're pulling weeds this time of year, that's where we find them. Genesis chapter number 3, the, the thorns of the ground. So if you're pulling weeds, just remind yourself, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. As we're thinking through this, this is what really took place. And what we see here, there's a thing called a reticent narrator. And that's in Hebrew writings. Often what we see is an outsider writing and just saying, here's the facts. Here's what took place. It doesn't give a lot of emotion, doesn't give a lot of background. And with this sort of narration, this is what we find in these passages throughout the book of Genesis and really throughout the, the Old Testament. Well, we see it, it laid out and it doesn't give us a lot of the day was a sunny day and it was a it was nice and warm outside and they're walking along. It doesn't give us all those backgrounds. Can you imagine how thick the Bible would be if it gave us all the background? So what it does, it gives us just the facts. Here's what took place. And as we understand, it is the word of God is this inspired word of God. Everything that's in there is for our benefit. And we're not to add to things, but certainly we can use our imagination understanding some of these emotions and what's taking place in these passages. Here, Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden and they have a relationship with God. There's certain things that they were doing as a family group because of their sin. And one of those things were sacrifices. And they would take a lamb and they would sacrifice it. Later on in the Bible, we see God reset up the sacrificial system through Moses, and they, they reset it up through the law, and we understand it again. But even before Moses, we understood there were sacrifices all the way through as you read through the Old Testament. So we understand here, even though it doesn't explicitly say, God would have explained to them how the sacrificial system was going to take place. He was going to explain to them how life was going to be. And Adam and Eve, as it says in Genesis 4, I'm going to start reading. Here's where we find ourselves. Verse number 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. 
There's a great deal of anticipation here. They say, we have a son. And if you go back into Genesis chapter number three, you understand that Eve, literally the name Eve, is the mother of all living. And from that, I believe she saw Cain as her firstborn son and said, this is now the promises of a God actually being lived out. And there's a great deal of anticipation. Today is my son Caden's 17th birthday. When I woke up this morning and looked at my wife, I said, happy giving birthday. Caden's in the back running the computer right now, and this, we're very proud of my son Caden, and I will say as a side, he's a tremendous blessing to our family, and he's a great worker here in church. You may not know this, but the person who set up majority of these chairs and the person who will pack them up at the end is Caden, even on his birthday. He's a great worker around. He's, he's a great honor to his parents, and we're very proud of him. How he's growing and developing. You know, there's a great deal of anticipation. You first hear, I'm going to have a baby. And as a father, I don't know how it is for ladies, but as a father, you hear that news and you go, oh! and your stomach drops, and you get a little bit wheezy, and you. Oh. What am I going to do? And, and then the, the unknown, and then the excitement builds, and then the birth takes place, which is traumatic. And, the, and then you hold the baby for the first time, and you look at the child. I remember looking at Caden, and the first thing is, Hi, I'm your dad. Like, I didn't know what to say. I was in a room by myself looking at Caden, and of course, he was bright, literally bright eyed looking around. And you have all this anticipation of things that are going to take place. And as a parent, you've probably felt that. And as a teenager, someday you will hopefully feel this wonderful anticipation. What we see here is that Adam and Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. They had anticipation. We continue on in verse number two. It goes on. It says, now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Because of the curse, they had been sent out and they were now tilling the ground. They were, they were herding animals. They were keeping animals. They were doing that in order to sustain themselves. They were fulfilling God's purpose and plan for their life by working the ground just like God had told them to do. And it goes on, it says in verse number three, in the course of time, so now as they grow and develop, now it's their time to begin bringing the sacrifices to God. And the Bible does not tell us if this is their first time bringing their own sacrifice and previously they were with their parents, or if they've been doing this for many years because of this time period, they lived a long time. It goes, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So he brought an offering of fruit that he had grown himself. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and, the, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Do you know why he had regard? It's because that's exactly the way that God had set it up. Abel had done what God had told him to do, where Cain had done things in his own strength and his own power, and he had brought along his own offering, which we'll get into in a few minutes' time. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. What's the response of Cain? So Cain was very angry and his face fell. He now has an opportunity to do what is right 
or to remain in his rebellion. See, he had done something knowingly. It wasn't just a mistake like, oops, I didn't know. God, I didn't know I was supposed to bring a a lamb. I meant to bring, I, I I was just, it was a mistake. Can I redo it? And that's not what we find here at all because God gives him an opportunity to do what is right. And you imagine all that's going through his mind at this time. I'm standing and actually, this is amazing. He's having a conversation with God. And the way this it's read here is he's having a verbal conversation with the creator of the universe. God is giving Cain a great deal of grace here. And it goes, and it says in verse number six and seven, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Now he's given an opportunity to obey God and repent of what he did was wrong and then do what is right. But he also has the choice, to to use the proverbial term, to double down and go, no, I'm not going to listen to you. And the amazing thing is, this is an offering to God. God's the one that sets the standards. And God goes on and says, verse number seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. You have a choice now, Cain. How are you going to respond? Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That's the end of verse number seven. In that time period between verses seven and verse eight, I have no doubt there's a lot of thinking going on. Cain had rejected God. He rejected God and said, no, I'm not going to give you the sacrifice in the way that you said. I'm going to do things my own way. And you measure all the thoughts that are going through his mind, all the way that he's rationalizing things as unfair. Everyone's against me. And what could have been a simple error, and God would have corrected it, and we probably would have never read about it in the Bible became something that we are talking now, thousands of years later, we're talking about it today and we can learn from. Verse number eight says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Every single picture I could Google, I mean, granted, they're drawings, they're not photographs, of Cain and Abel together, Anytime we see the picture, Cain is always has a big rock. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he kills him with a rock. It just says he killed his brother. You imagine all that's going through his mind. The, what started off as something that was quite simple, easily fixed, ended up being something that ended up in a murder. It goes on, and in verse number 9 it says, The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Have you ever heard this line? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Maybe you've heard that line before. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain 
responded in verse number 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Even from that, God gives Cain some grace. He puts a mark on Cain's face because Cain was afraid that anyone that came across him in the future, because they were living literally at that time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, anyone that saw that mark on his face would know that that was Cain and they were not to, to harm him. God gave him grace through that time, but we don't find any repentance in Cain whatsoever. Cain left, and for a sermon on another day, Cain had a wife, and he took his wife with them, and went and, and had a son named Enoch and named a city after his son named Enoch. And then from that, it all, all builds. And you have an entire society of people who were not following God at all. They were literally God deniers. And that had an eternal impact. If you continue reading your Bible, and we encourage you, read through the book of Genesis. It's a, it's a tremendous uh, th- a biblical account with so many interesting things throughout it. You see the impact of rebellion time and time and time again throughout the book of Genesis. So that comes down to our application. I've given you the, this story, and it's a very basic story that I've given to you today. Let's go and how does that apply to our life? We have two main points. The first one is the rebellious lies. These are lies that we tell ourselves. How and why do we tell ourselves the lies that we tell ourselves? The word rebellion in a very simplistic definition is opposition to authority. Now, if you are a Star Wars fan... And if you like Star Wars, and you would probably be on the side of the rebellion. Now, believe me, I'm going to call you a nerd for a moment. If you get excited, if you saw that on the screen just for a second, because I'm talking to my son right now in the back row. And I want to be part of the rebellion. I don't want to be part of the empire. And that's the, probably the most commonly used of the word rebellion in our society today is the thought of Star Wars. But you know what? When it comes to things of God, we in no way want to be living in rebellion. We don't want to be in opposition to our authority. The rebellious lies that we tell ourselves start off with a small little untruth that festers into something that will end up with an eternal impact if we're not careful. When the prophet Samuel was talking to King Saul. King Saul had performed a sacrifice that was not honoring and not in line with the things of God. And Saul was wondering to himself, why? I've done the right thing. You know, I ticked all the boxes the way they're supposed to do. And Samuel comes to him and gives him a tremendous reality check that is applicable for our lives today. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 15. Verses 22 and 23, it says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, he's saying, Does he really like it when you just do the right thing in the wrong way? And he goes on and says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. And presumption 
is as iniquity and idolatry. We are not called to remain in our natural rebellion. The book of 1 John answers the question, Why did Cain kill his brother? Why was he angry at his brother Abel when he really was angry with God and rebellious towards God? In the book of 1 John, chapter number 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Isn't that tremendous? We should love one another. But it's hard. Have you been part of a family for very long? It's hard to love one another. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And he answers the question, Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He chose to believe a lie. The first lie that Cain told himself, and we can personalize this today, is the lie we tell ourselves. Lie to myself. It says in verses 3 and 4, it talks about the heart of Cain. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, that may not sound that impressive, Abel's offering. He brought the firstborn and the fat parts. But that is the very best of the meat and the best of his flock he had brought and offered to the Lord, which was what God required. Whereas Cain, it doesn't say anything about the fruit other than he brought the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say he brought the best of his fruit. It doesn't say that he brought the biggest and plumpest fruit and vegetables. It simply says he brought some fruit. Whereas Abel said, I'm going to commit myself to give God my very best. What we find with Cain, in contrast, he just gave some fruit. Mm, you know what? I'm going to get rid of this anyway. It's about to go rotten. That's why anytime we have... <laughs> banana bread in our house it's because the bananas are about to go bad and they're all mushy that's when we get banana bread and you can imagine Cain and his offering to God saying you know what these are about to go off anyway God these are for you he's a lie to himself he has a lie to himself that good enough is enough Cain said I'm going to set the standard God, you come to me on my terms. I'm not going to go to you. You're not the creator of the sustainer of the universe. In a, sense, he's, in a sense, he's saying, I am. God, you listen to me. He also says, God, I want you to do what I want you to do. And he begins to list off. Here's what I want you to do. God, you come to me. And so often, that's a lie we tell ourselves. We look at the world around us and we look at our circumstances and we think to ourselves, God, why haven't you done this? And we start listing off the various things. And we may sound very spiritual in the way that we come to God. God, and we have a long, eloquent prayer that is essentially saying, God, come to me on my terms and in my way. We also see a lie. Cain also didn't just lie to himself. He began to lie to others. And that's a natural thing that happens after we lie to ourselves. We begin to believe our lies and we lie to others. You imagine the conversation that would have taken place. 
before and after the murder of Abel. How did he lure Abel into the field? What did he tell him? What sort of things did he have to make up in order to say, bye, mom and dad, we're just going out for a walk. We'll be back soon. What do you think that has to take place? It says that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. You see, when we are living in rebellion toward God, we can justify anything. You can come up with some great ideas and begin to lie to yourself to the point where you can begin to lie to others and believe your own lies. I have no doubt that Cain thought to himself that he was doing the best thing by killing his brother. If I just get rid of my brother, then all of my problems are going to be solved. The lies that we tell to ourselves, the lies that we tell to others, and worst of all, the third is the lies that we tell to God. God in his graciousness comes to Cain, and he gives Cain an opportunity to repent. He gives him an opportunity to come back, and he says there, if you do well, will you not be accepted? There's certain things, and I think it's good to use discernment in this life. There's so many various things that are vying for our attention. And if you watch the television, watch commercials, if you listen to every and believe every TV commercial that you see on TV, you will be buying a new car every single day that will make you happy. And I must have this. And we understand there has to be discernment. We don't believe every bit of advertisement that's thrown to us because we have discernment. And we also, every single person that you know, you don't believe everything that they say because you know by reputation, they have a reputation of lying, they have a reputation of deceiving, they have a reputation of being dishonest or cheating at games. And so you know that we use discernment. But here, God comes to Cain and says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's giving an opportunity, and Cain's literally saying at him, looking at him, going, mm, no, I'm not going to believe you. Then he ended up having the opportunity to be confronted by God, where he even lied to God, where, where God says to him, where is Abel your brother in verse number 9? Where is Abel, your brother? And he says, I do not know. Then he gives a snarky, teenager-like response. Sorry if you're a teenager. Am I my brother's keeper? He begins to lie to God as if he's going to get away with it. And of course, God doesn't let him get away with that at all. Instantly tells him, your brother's blood is crying out to me. I know what happened. I'm the creator, the sustainer of the universe. And how often when we begin to lie to ourselves and we believe the lies of our rebellion and somehow we justify those lies and then we begin to lie to others and get them on board and think, oh, I've convinced everyone that I'm right. And then we ultimately come to God who knows everything who knows everything about us and every thought that we've ever had, and he still loves us. And we say to God, God, I think I can trick you. I think I can manipulate you somehow, God. And ultimately, it will lead to our destruction. God was very gracious and very kind to Cain. He gave him a way of escape. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 13, we have a similar promise. We have a way of escape. 
It says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. You may think like you're, you're the only person that's ever gone through what you've gone through. You may feel like you're the only person that's ever experienced what you are experiencing. What does the Bible say? God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The famous preacher from the last century, Charles Spurgeon, says, God never allows his children to sin successfully. Cain remained in his rebellion. And the Bible is very clear that he died in his rebellion and we will not see him in heaven in eternity. There's some eternal impacts that we, can, we make when we we either faithfully obedient or unfaithfully disobedient. We're contrasting Cain with his brother Abel. And we look on the other side and we see from rebellious lies, the second point is we see a righteous living. Abel simply did what he was supposed to do. If you contrast Abel's life in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, you see the hall of faith. All these people that did amazing things. As you read through the Bible, you see people like Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He stood before Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. He did amazing things. He stood before God, received the, the law of God. We see people like Joshua who led the children of Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land and, and defeated giants through that land. You see people like David who killed giants like Goliath. You have people in the Bible like Daniel who faced certain death by being thrown into a lion's den and God miraculously shutting the mouths of the lions. You see account after account of amazing things being taken place. Whereas Abel, all he did was bring the correct sacrifice at the correct time and offer it to God. And God says, he is righteous. Sometimes we set the standard really high as we read through Bible characters. And I think we should honor and remember people that did amazing things for the Lord, but also recognize that God works through the seemingly simple and mundane, and he still looks it upon it and goes, you did that which was right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended. Here's the key. I have it underlined on the screen. He was commended as righteous. God says, you've done the right thing simply because you did what I told you to do. Abel simply did what he was supposed to do. And that resulted in a life of faith. And here's how we can apply this to our own life. The first point is a life of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God. We have the faith to do that which is right when everyone else is doing what is wrong. To make this in reality, you have Cain and you have Abel. Abel could have said, everyone else is doing wrong except for him. 
He, could, he was the only one that can use that excuse. Everyone else was doing what was wrong because Cain was offering the wrong thing. And everyone else is doing wrong at school. When you go to school tomorrow, teenager, you are going to be faced with the opportunity to do what is wrong. And you can look around and think, well, everyone else is doing it. When you go to work and people start doing things that you know are wrong, you have an opportunity to either live a life of faith or to simply live a life like everyone else is living. A definition of faith in Hebrews 11, verses 1 and verse 6, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it goes on, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, that is God. We have to have a life of faith as a foundation. So therefore, we have a prayer that we can pray. It's a very simple prayer that I want to add to your prayer life. And this is a prayer that you can pray often when you're faced with those times when, you're, when you have a choice. Do I do what everyone else is doing, which is possibly wrong, or am I going to do the right thing? The prayer of faith is, God, what do you want me to do? It's a very simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. God, what do you want me to do? goes on we have a life of giving that passage in hebrews chapter number 11 verse 4 it says he offered to god and god commended him by accepting his gift you see his offering wasn't to impress others it wasn't because mom and dad told me i have to do this i'm going to do the right thing or i'm seeing how my brother's getting in trouble so i'm going to do the opposite It was an offering directly to God. It wasn't to impress other people. It was between him and God. And how oftentimes do we have the opportunity to live a life of giving when we can impress other people? Whereas what we find here in Scripture is when we give, we give in order to honor and to glorify and worship God. That prayer of giving that we have is a prayer of simply God, what do you want me to give? The blessing of that prayer of what do you want me to give is it takes away the emotion. It takes away the pressure. It takes away everything else and simply between you and God. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? Not what I want you to give, what other people want you to give, but what does God want you to give? And it's amazing how God will speak to us and he'll prompt us and he'll guide us in certain ways where everyone else will look at you and go, what are they doing? I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. And simply because God has called you to do that. We also see the result is a life of witness. This here, as I was studying this out, I was going down a certain direction with this story and application, and then I reread the simple little line at the end of verse number four of Hebrews 11. And it says, He still speaks. It says, And through his faith, though he died, the very first human being to die, died as a result of murder from his own brother. He's been in the presence of God longer than anyone else. If anyone should be a forgotten, it was the guy that's been gone the longest. And he says that he still speaks. God took a simple, obedient offering. And he turned it into something that we're talking about thousands of years later. 
we can look at the life of Abel and say, because of his faith, we can learn from that. He still speaks is, is something we can take on in our own lives. You see, when we live a life of faith and we live a life of giving, our witness will go out. We can live a life of witness where we can speak in ways that will impact not just today, but ultimately eternity. And that excites me a great deal. Because I want to live longer than just this time here on earth. I want what I do in my life, and I think you probably do too, to last for all eternity, to make an impact bigger and greater than just the here and now, just beyond the next paycheck. I want more of my life to accomplish than just he paid off his house. We have a prayer of witness, and the prayer of witness is simply this. God, what do you want me to say? So we have those three prayers. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? What do you want me to say? And that aligns beautifully with faithful obedience to God will make an eternal impact. 